Hey, Dan Blackburn, this is the How Legends Are Made podcast, and today we have my man, Kerry Goulet. Hey. Booyah. Yeah, there you go. Oh, gosh, okay. There it is. How are you, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. Sorry, uh, as you know, a little chaotic lifestyle, but okay. I'll tell you what. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, whenever I book things with you, I always give a buffer, you know, like about 15 minutes kind of either either side. Yeah, I know. But but you're like me. I said to my brother when, when we were getting ready, I said, he's, yeah, I said, Carrie's like me. It's like, yeah. you know, fashionably late. Yeah. Okay, so so I started this podcast because I wanted to inspire athletes. I wanted to inspire hockey players, families, yeah. um, how to be legends, yeah. right? And that there are things that we can do every day because I believe everybody's born the great is already inside me when I'm born. My first yeah. breath of air, I've got the great. The question is, what am I going to do with that greatness? Am I going to go and plant those seeds and am I going to cultivate and make them happen? And dude, that's what you do. So I'm going to read this. I don't do this very often, but I, I wrote, I wrote a, little, a little thing here for you. Oh. So, so I think, in my opinion, you're a legend because there's something that you do that legends do that, that non-legends don't do is that you show up fearlessly in the hockey community. You've done it as long as I've known you. you. You were doing it before I knew you. Like everything you got, you know, stark naked, whatever it takes, 500 grand, we're gonna get to that in a second. Wait till <laughs> Kerry talks about his Australian experience. Whatever it takes, you're, you're all in. And today, you're over, you're taking care of your mom who's, who's sick, and, and you're racing over here. I can only imagine what you're like in the car, flying 100 miles an hour, zigzagging. Um, but you do this because you're such a powerful ambassador for the game, for, for players that, will play in the future, players that are playing now, players that are done playing and, and are struggling with life after hockey. Yeah. And, and that's, like, you're this ambassador for all of that. Um, you're accomplished as a hockey player uh, here in Ontario and Canada, and then you went to Europe. You're in the European uh, Hockey Hall of Fame. Booyah. You're the first guest that I can ever say that about. Um, but you've also experienced, personally, the dark side of the sport. Right, you, you were in the play, and we're gonna get into this. Yeah. Uh, you've been in the dark place that, that as men, but as hockey players, as athletes, we don't talk about right. enough. The sport doesn't talk about enough. The NHLP doesn't talk about enough. The NHL doesn't talk about enough. Like, it's just like sweep this under the carpet. And slowly, because of guys like you, what you do is stop concussions and the Primo brothers, you're, you're, you're shedding light on the darkness. And it's having such an impact on, on hockey players that are struggling and, and parents who, who, who are now not so afraid to put their hand up or put their foot down and say, no, you don't get my kid. You don't get my Susie or Johnny just because they're the best player on the team and you want them to score a bunch of goals. Um, you're co-founder of Stop Concussions Movement. Uh, you're determined to change. This is what I love. You're determined to change how we see, how we care for, but most importantly, how we prevent concussions entirely in the game of hockey, not just here in your little hub of Etobicoke, Toronto, Canada, but the globe. Um, so I'm pleased to introduce Kerry Goulet, AKA Gooch. Yeah. Um, how Legends Are Made podcast, buddy. I'm so happy to have you here, buddy. Welcome, oh, Dan, welcome. Thank you. I'll tell you what, uh, thanks mom for uh, sending in this uh, wonderful uh, description. <laughs> thank you, very, uh, very kind words. Okay, so so let's go right into it. Let's, let's first talk about, about family, friends. I, yeah. I, I think that most hockey players, I think us in business successful, we want to talk yeah. about the good stuff, the things that work in. Uh, and so I think one of the reasons you're so powerful is you talk about the dark stuff. So uh, you've been really open about your sister. Uh, yeah. and she's struggling right now. And, yeah. you've, and you've been super open yeah. about her struggles with addiction. Yeah. You know, and anybody that's watching, I mean, addiction, uh, there's, there's help. There's AA, 
uh, there's NA, there's all kinds of support. And then for people like myself, I, my dad was an, was, was an alcoholic. Um, there's support for us, Al-Anon. There's groups that we can go to, like you, to ferret out the dark and start talking about the pain, the struggle, the sorrow that we carry. Um, so how, how's your sister doing? Well, you know, it's, it's been a long journey. And, and uh, of course, uh, a topic like that, it's, it's very personal. So sometimes people are very scared to open up and allow to be exposed. And listen, uh, the exposure that I have is only the fact that I want to save her life. Can we do it? We're going to try it. But, uh, you know, she had a 15-year bout with addiction uh, at 40 years old, fell off the tracks, never got back on. Very wealthy woman, uh, a tremendous family, two beautiful children, uh, everything a person would want. She was a communications expert for TE Eaton's when they closed it down. <clears throat> she was the one that actually wow. helped do the communications to shut it down the Eaton's family. And then when Lexus Canada came to, to, uh, to North America, she actually launched it. So very, very successful, very articulate, very intelligent, very beautiful and very focused. Just at 40 something happened. We, we believe that uh, it was a mismanagement of, of postpartum. Uh, you know, we, we don't want to throw the medical under the bus, medical world under the bus, but we have to look for why it happened. And that's one of the things that Karen wants to do now, now that we hopefully will get her down a farther path of life. We want to open up and tell her story because far too often we look at celebrities and we find out about, you know, how their addiction went or we look at the, the, the man or woman that's on the street and we know that they're on the street because they just never got the right chance. Karen was the exact opposite to all of that. Mm. Built a successful career. So she, so she had what we, what we would look at as like, she's got it all. Yeah. Living eight million dollar homes in Rosedale, buying and selling properties. She's very articulate, a designer as my mother was, and was just phenomenal, living the life of luxury. And I was, of course, flying back and forth from Europe, playing there and staying here in the summers. Great life, you couldn't ask for a better life. Two beautiful children, as I mentioned. Once she fell off the track, it went nasty. It went down to all, and uh, you know, through your father's experience, <clears throat> we as family members, she's my blood. I would do anything I could to take that illness away from her uh, and even throw it upon myself to try and help her. And I did everything as a brother I could. And even at a time where everybody says tough love, uh, tough love is really tough. Mm. And I walked away. And um, unfortunately, um, she went deeper and, and darker. Seven clinics. Found her one day, uh, got a phone call. She was leaning up against a tree, beaten, uh, uh, raped, uh, left, left for death. Uh, her husband at the time uh, you know, picked it up and said, listen, Carrie, I'll fly her down. We went down to the best clinics. Uh, we went to Tucson, Arizona. It was like, a, like royalty, the treatment. Uh, down to Atlanta, uh, did a couple of clinics here. Nothing seemed to work. We did the AA route. And just for some reason, we just couldn't get across that line. So now <clears throat> situation is, um, she's in, uh, she has alcoholic hepatitis, uh, the onset of uh, cirrhosis, which is uh, meaning that her liver will not take her the distance. Uh, you know, in this thing, people give numbers. She's got three, six, 12, 18 months. God, if I was told today that I had three months to live, I don't know how I would take it, uh, whether it's eight, whatever that number is. Uh, she's unbelievably positive and funny and, and, and taking it on as if, you know, uh, she knows she's got a battle, but she's going to battle. So that's why I've, 
I've stepped up and I don't usually go out and, and make it public that, you know, I did a little fundraising thing. Mm -hmm. I've seen everybody doing it. So I figured, uh, you know, I needed some help. I don't have the finances right at this particular moment. We talk about that a little bit. I, got, I had a little bad summer. Uh, and so I needed some help. So I went out and called on friends and I'll tell you what, thank you. The, the, the community understands that we all have trials and tribulations uh, that we have to go through. Mm -hmm. And I've been fortunate to have such a great network of friends and family that have allowed me to, to hopefully hopefully pull this off. It's going to be a miracle, but we're going to do it. We're going to try. Okay, awesome. We're going to do our best. How, how, um, how can we help? Like, like anybody listening or watching now, send us to the GoFundMe. Yeah, what, yeah. what is it? Yeah, well, I'm on Facebook, uh, okay. Carrie Goulet, of course, and we do have a GoFundMe under Karen's name. Uh, but most importantly, it's not about the money. It's more about the recognition and, and, and the talking about opening up the doors of it, what you've said earlier. Now people are talking about it. Mm. We as men, we, we've, we've hidden a lot of our emotions for years and I know you're a very passionate emotional guy I played with emotion I wore on my sleeves I think we have to understand we're all we're all together we all you know when we cut we bleed mm -hmm. uh, we breathe the same air so I think if we can open up and talk it's communication so that's really number one if you have uh, a family member that's struggling don't give up find ways of helping or you know what I'm there you're there talk to people that are going through it or have gone through it that can help guide you in the right direction to seek help there are going to be days where you want to give up, but I'll tell you what, it's an illness. It is an illness. Think about, funny, she wrote a, a, a we're going to start now putting out these little stories about how she got to where she mm. was, you know, at 40, everything, and now at 55, nothing. She has nothing. We're talking starting from scratch. I picked her up in Orangeville uh, a couple days ago, living in a, on a guy's couch that you should have seen the place. It was like, you know, you, you watch the movies of the ghettos. It was it was nasty. So I've got her out of that world. She's not drinking. She hasn't drank for over a month now. Once she, we got the diagnosis, which is good. And so I think we need to look upon ourselves. Why are we here, like Dan? Why are we here? We're here to try and uh, live a great life, uh, enjoy, but make the uh, the place a better place. And if I can't help my sister do that, right? Uh, then I'm certainly not doing my job. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. To serve and, and to help and leave a legacy. Yep. Right. That's that's what it's all about. Yep. Um, so we're we're gonna have everything posted here, so anybody that's yeah. watching or listening, you know, if you I can, could add, you can, you, you, yeah, sorry, go. sorry, you know, the legacy that was a really good term. I think uh, I spoke here once with you uh, about uh, in another topic with my buddy that broke his neck, and uh, I had to do the eulogy for him. Uh, he was uh, 25 years a quad, and I was flying back from Toronto to Winnipeg to do the eulogy, and in front of me were all my friends and colleagues and teammates I hadn't seen for probably some of them 30 years, and I uh, did a speech and was ready to talk and. I stood up there and I had this whole long list of things I wanted to say and I just looked at the crowd and I said, you know what, it's not fair to, to him to read this stuff. So I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it out of the true feeling. So um, why, was I, why was I picked to do that? Why was I picked on the journey with Robert? And it was because he needed to teach me something. What he taught me was, it's not the trophies we collect along the way, the cars, the, 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 the money, all the accolades, all the trophies and everything that we get from playing sport or being in business. It's what we give back that's our true legacy. Mm. So that's why I think you're very similar to me. We give back not for the accolades. We give back because it's going to make the world a better place. Mm. Awesome. I love that. Um, let's talk about your incredible wife. I mean, <laughs> one of one of the, I mean, we, we all want, you know, happy, yeah. happy wife, yeah. happy life. Yeah. I, 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 I work hard to subscribe <laughs> to that. Um, and yet your wife is, is understanding and, and, you know, all of those things yeah. that, that, you know, we look for. And, and yeah. I remember years ago, someone said to me, if you want to be successful, you know, and anybody that's watching now or listening, you want to be successful, you got to surround yourself with people that are, are that are supportive, that yeah. are going to, they're going to challenge the shit out of you. They're yeah. going to push you, yeah. um, but they're going to be there. Like when push comes to shove, as long as I show up and I'm a man, I'm yeah. a good man. 
they're going to be there in my corner. So yeah. talk a little bit about your wife and, and, uh, and the support that she's been for you along this incredible journey. Well, you know what, uh, Dan, you're correct. Uh, you know, I hear that statement, happy wife, happy life. I think, you know, in any type of relationship, whether it's a male and a female in marriage, business, uh, uh, it's really about being uh, respectful to each other. First, you have to respect yourself uh, and understand what your true values are so that you can pass those on to all the people that you're around, but also understand the person that's across the way. Again, whether it's a wife, a friend, or, or a business partner. So understand that we all have expectations, and I think I'm very blessed, very blessed that I, I found a woman in my life that, that could accept the journey that I was on. Listen, you know, I, I, I didn't make the National Hockey League. I wanted to play just like we all did. Uh, came close, uh, flew off to Europe, not knowing anything. And, you know, back in 1988, I didn't even know where I was going. I had to go to a, a, a library and look at an atlas to find this little city that I couldn't find, Eschweiler, <laughs> Germany. I, I took a rider, just took a, a, a faith and got over there and, uh, you know, playing fourth division ice hockey, thinking I'm Gretzky with the helmet, whole nine. Just an incredible life and, and had everything. And, of course, went through my concussions. Uh, then came back and, and ultimately had to deal with my father's death and then stay here and take care of my mother. Um, I, I had nowhere to go. I didn't know what to do. So I got involved with uh, Barry Monroe and it took me down a path uh, of being a part of philanthropy. And I met Tony who was in the uh, hedge fund industry, somebody that I'd never met before that was, she was so into money, was so into cars and everything. Like she was that materialistic woman that, that, uh, that, that intrigued me because I, I was never like that. I didn't make a ton of money playing hockey, but I made enough to, to, to put some away to, you know, for the, the later years in life. And I just thought, wow, this is crazy. Like, how, how does somebody live like that? So we went on a couple dates and got to talk to her and, and she gave me another perspective on life. And I thought, wow, you know what? I, I'm gonna explore that, I wanna understand <laughs> this. So we, we got together and she actually fell in love with the fact that she met somebody that wasn't about the money, the cars and all that. And we all love it, and you know, yeah. I don't like it. Listen, yeah. I drove the Autobahn with a Ferrari 318, you know, thinking I was a cool dude. But at the end of the well, day- you, you are a cool dude. Oh, come on. <laughs> so those things don't really matter. They, yeah. every, all you kids yeah. out there, enjoy everything you do, whether it's driving a Ferrari, a Mini Rover, or if it's a Lada, uh, where I had the opportunity to do it in Moscow, don't matter. Right. They're all the same, they got wheels. <laughs> and so I think when, it, when, when she kind of opened me up to that real world of, and listen, I've been with kings and queens, you know, the story's too long and uh, it would take way too long to tell. One day I will tell you the stories about meeting royalty and stuff. They, they, again, we're all the same. Mm. We, we all breathe the same air. So I think when I met her, she was a fresh, uh, fresh air for me to, to be able to, to see the other side of the world. And when she realized that life was not about the cars, it was about the money, it was about family, and it was about being able to give back. She really adopted that, and she was crazy enough. She's driving a beautiful Beamer, a BMW. I was driving a, 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 a minivan, <laughs> just stolen gold without kids. And what we found through that, that experience together is we came to a common ground of that. Every, everything's needed, it's just sometimes in moderation. So she gave up her job after a year, uh, of craziness and, and followed my journey. I didn't ask her, I didn't say, listen, this is my journey, come with me. She decided that she would take on, because you know, I got a little bit of gift of the gab and you know, I, I'm kind of one of those Pied Pipers that bring people together, but I was never really good at, okay, what do I, all these people are here, what do we do now? Right, right. So she was logistically based, so she brought a very important part of my life together that, you know, the chaoticness, she was the one that actually said, Carrie, didn't you have something this morning? And then <laughs> I looked down and there's the, uh, there's the text. So uh, I'm blessed because she has sacrificed enough 
uh, as you know, I'm open about my uh, particular challenges. My family, my mother's got COPD. My sister's going through what she's going through. Just got announced. My brother's uh, uh, just uh, been diagnosed with prostate cancer, which you know what is nothing today. You know, get checked. Right. It's not as right. bad. I, that's what I lost my father to. Everybody knows that about me. With her, she's very quiet. Her mother's got a, a disease called IPF. It's a little bit. Uh, 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 it's terminal. It's the lining of the lungs harden and they stop. Mm. Whereas COPD, you can put oxygen in the lungs right. and keep a person alive. This will stop. And her sister Linda has Parkinson's, very very bad uh, case of Parkinson's, and it tears her apart. And so um, I take care of my mother personally. Uh, she can't because we, you know, she's she lives too far away, so she drives back and forth. So she has sacrificed so much for me and. Uh, Tony Mills is the greatest, and uh, she certainly allows me to do what I do uh, without judgment, which is is great. Yeah, we have the arguments, uh, we fight about money, we do everything that every normal relationship. But at the end of the day, before we go to bed at night, we do inventory. It's kind of funny, just saying, "Hey, how was your day?" Just take time out to listen. Mm. That's all it's about. That's amazing. I love that. So, so talk about uh, you know you referred to your mom and your dad. Yeah. Your dad passed, and, yeah. you, and your mom's battling right now. How influential were they? for you growing up around this game of hockey? Yeah, uh, uh, sometimes I get emotional, uh, you know, I can say, my dad uh, uh, battled with some alcohol issues throughout his life, uh, up until 50, he was, uh, I, I would call him, I would call him an alcoholic, a, kind of a closet alcoholic, he, he, he was just a, a, a whole different, as you know, an alcohol, a totally different person. Uh, when he died, uh, I could honestly say if I could be half the man that he was, um, uh, I would be blessed. Um, he was an influencer. He wasn't the he wasn't the guy that got me to play hockey. It was my mother. Mother was a speed skater. Uh, got to a certain level. The, the family didn't have any money, so she couldn't go and do the nationals and that. But they said she was very good at it. And I remember, you know, I'm from Winnipeg, and there's a little park called the St. Patel Park, and it had a figure eight uh, pond. And she would take me out there. I remember explicitly, you know, two years old holding on to a scarf and she'd be doing these long strides with skates and I had those two blades, you know, those... Uh, oh yeah, she's got her... <laughs> I think they were knives actually. And she, I'd be holding on, I'd be falling, she'd be pulling me and... How old were you then? I would have been two. I wow. Yeah, I was really tough. And she was, uh, was a petite little girl and she she took me, and minus 30, you know, you hear the whole stories. Wow. And I'd get off the ice, my dad would be there rubbing my, my feet and that sort of stuff. Uh, but it was her. She drove me every practice. She was there every every game. She wasn't a, a hockey mom per se. Like she didn't get influenced by any of the politics, as you know. In po hockey, there's oh, there's a little bit of politics. Yeah, yeah, once in a while. Yeah, she didn't get involved in that. She kept out of it. She just kept it clean. It was really my mother that gave me the love for the game. And my father was just a, a sideline uh, cheerleader. And and uh, again, as I say, you know, we had some huge challenges. We had no money. At, at times, my father worked for the CN and was one of those guys that, you know, every second Friday got his paycheck, blew most of it in the bar that night, and my mom would have to pick up the pieces and not cry in the blues. It helped me, you know, with character and understanding, you know, as a, as a, as a man, our role, and as a woman, what each roles were. Mm -hmm. My mother should have left my father many, many times, but didn't want to keep the family together for, for the, uh, obviously, for the, the right reasons, and she did pretty good. Outside of my sister going down the path, she went, for other circumstances in her upbringing, um, I think we, you know, we've done it. She, my mom and dad did a pretty good, pretty good. And when we lost him, uh, one thing, um, you know, he uh, he was a a railway guy, uh, but he learned Latin, and he knew every word in the dictionary. You'd say a word, and he could break it down. 
And so uh, I can tell you one really, you know, guys and, and, and girls that are out there, uh, if you have a special relationship with your parents, this one really epitomized or, or, or showcases uh, the change in a man. Uh, my father struggled, as I mentioned, and uh, he, he, he would, uh, was diagnosed with prostate cancer, had to give up his job, and st traveled with me. I would go to Europe for six months, so my parents would come over, they'd give me a car and apartment for my parents uh, for two times a year. So they would come over and we'd drive and go and see the world and all that sort of stuff. And one time we were on a bus, I was a player coach, I was in Timmendorf, we were going to a, a little town called Erfurt, it's uh, the eastern block of, of Germany, and we played the game, and it was really rough, hooligans, you know, Nazis, all that, mm -hmm. it was like dark what, side. What year would that have been? This would have been about 2000 and, uh, to just, just after the wall came. Okay, out. right. So this is okay. Good yeah. for perspective. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. So, but still, politically, oh, yeah. still lots uh, of ebb and flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're in the, we're in the van. Uh, we're in the bus. We're on the way back. We've beaten the team three two. I had a hat trick, believe it or not, in this game. And one, yeah, one and one just late in the game. And playing with a guy named Mark McKay, who's one of the best players I ever played with. And so I'm the player coach. So I'm sitting up at the front, and all the guys are in the back are playing cards and watching those girly pictures on the video and stuff. And, and Slapshot was playing. <laughs> uh, my dad was off to, the, uh, off to the one side of the bus and I was on the other. And I was just, you know, it was a beautiful night and the moon and all that sort of stuff. And I'm looking over and there's my dad. He's, he's, he's weeping, like he's, he's crying. And my dad wasn't a crier. And I look over and I said, Pops, what's going on? And he said, uh, Gooch, I got to tell you that uh, I never made the man I wanted to be. Uh, you know, I could have been so much more than what I, was, what I am today. And, and um, I'm just so blessed to have you as a son. And uh, you know what you've done for mom and I and the families, just incredible, look at, look at what we've done. And look at how you've taken your skill and, and you've developed it into this incredible world and, and you've included us in it. And you know, we both start crying and I'm saying, pops, boys are in the back of the bus, please, can you stop? And from that day on, he was 63 at the time, from that day on, he had never told me how he loved me. He, he, he wasn't a hard man, he just was one of those. Consumed in his stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, said, Gooch, I can't tell you how much I love you. And from that day on until he passed away uh, at 72, I can honestly say I don't remember a day where he wouldn't, even if I was in Germany and he was, funny, I was on the Autobahn driving quickly, at 200 kilometers an hour. And I get a, I get a, I don't know if you remember in the old days, Nokia had a fax machine and a phone and I get this fax, Gooch, I love you. And it was from my dad. You know, it's a rolled up piece yeah, of paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was that type of a relationship I had with my dad. And so that was what, the last six, seven years of his life? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, but the, and he was phenomenal. And when he passed away, we had well over 300 people send notes of saying how wonderful a man he was. They didn't know him, obviously, in the bad days. Uh, but, uh, you know, my, it's really my mother who, who got me to where it is today. And that's why mm. I'll tell you what, I'll spend every day I can to, to take care of her because um, she instilled with me the, 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 the gift and it is a gift. You're, you're very similar. We're, we're very similar people where we want the best in ourselves, but also the best in the person that we're with. Mm -hmm. And that's all we can do. Instill it in our children, instill it with our friends, instill it in the teammates, right. instill it in people that you, you've never met before. Right. Um, Just a stranger you see on the street walking by, right? Best thing I've learned in my whole time in this, uh, whether it's my sister, my mother, friends, people that are going through difficult times, don't judge the cover because the story that's with inside is far greater and so if you look at me uh, most times i'm pretty optimistic i have some pretty bad days just as we all do but i'll tell you what it's what we do with that adversity how do we go above and beyond that and just remember 
there's always somebody behind you that's in a lot worse shape than you are. So pick it up. You've only got so much time in the world, and so make sure you do good. Yeah, amazing. And so that's a perfect segue. So, so you, you're playing hockey in yeah. Europe, having a phenomenal career. Yeah. Um, and so let's yeah. let's fast forward because I mean, you're you're going to be back at the Junior Showcase again yeah. this year. Yeah. So everybody's welcome to come out, and you can connect with Kerry uh, anytime. You want to talk about all the great moments and the goals oh, you yeah. scored? Yeah. You can go and ask. But but I, 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 I wanna, got a couple of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I, I want to go. I want to yeah. go. You know, to, to the point now where someone who's watching who may be struggling, who may be questioning their own ability, their own sort of hockey mortality. Yeah. Um, and so I talked about the dark times. Yeah. And so talk for, for bring us to that place where, where you, you know, you're playing, you're, you're, you're doing well, you're having all these wonderful times, um, getting the love and connection with your dad, and then concussions hit, and then you yeah. start to go into the dark time. Talk, talk about that. Yeah, to, to get there, um, you know, uh, again, we all want to, if we're playing hockey, we all want to achieve some sort of greatness, and, and whether it's in the National Hockey League or, or in the AHL, East Coast League, or even for that matter, college, and where I got to Europe, <clears throat> we all want to give our best to, to, to live a life in this world of hockey. So when I got over to Europe, I, I was just so honored, so blessed to stand on the rink and have these people chant my name, and after I got off the ice, they're asking for my autographs. You know, this is 27 when I got over to Europe. I never believed I would ever live that after going through what I lived through, you know, not going through junior hockey and getting a tryout with the Winnipeg Jets. It was a what's called pre-rookie camp with John Ferguson Sr. was the general manager at the time and him basically saying, listen, you know, we just don't think you're tough enough. I didn't know what that meant, but we're not tough. <laughs> Coming from John Ferguson Sr., I'm not tough enough. I didn't know what tough enough was. And, and when I got to Europe, I learned what tough enough was. I was tough. I don't care what anybody said. What I was tough was is that every game, game in and game out, I would give everything I had and I would be beaten, blue marks, broken teeth knocked out, and I'd continue on playing and sacrifice my body. Um, and some was ego, we have egos. Uh, but most importantly was I was actually getting paid for a game I loved that I played for free. Thank God they did not take that up on me. Yeah. Um, and also uh, uh, the adulation that I got, the, the, the camaraderie with the teammates, the, the incredible support I got from fans, the stories I heard from people. And I'll just tell you the one quick story that, that really brought me to understanding why I was there and then going to the dark side. Um, there was a, a day where I was uh, in, in Germany, it's a little bit different. In those days, they didn't have glass on every, every rink. They had these nets, you know, mm. they'd pull them down, they'd, they'd hook them on, and you know, the, 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 the back behind the nets, behind the goal nets were actually netting. So the people were right there. Uh, and uh, uh, I was in a game and actually got spit on from a, from a fan and went back and a guy punched me and big huge brawl breaks out. People are going crazy and think, wow, these people are crazier than I am. They're so passionate about it. So after every game in our particular rink, they would lift the nets up and all the people would hang over the boards and you would skate around and do what's called an errand round. So the whole team would go and shake hands and sign autographs and that. And I was always the last one because I was the player coach. And um, a lot of people took it as I, it was my ego and wanting to be the last and wanting to be you know, the, the, the focal point. You know what, maybe it was, but I really took time and energy to say hello to everybody. Hey, how you doing, what's going on, what do you need, you know, sign an autograph. I, it would take me almost two hours after a game. There were a couple of Mark McKay, Marvin Glaze, they got it too, but those people paid money to actually watch me play. Mm. So I, I wanted to give them time and energy if I could. So we would go this, every, every home game we would do this. And one weekend, going around the rink, clapping hands, and there's a little boy, he said, oh, could I have your autograph? And I had noticed that, you know, he, he didn't have hair, um, and uh, he was white. Uh, that's all I noticed, signed an autograph, went back. Mm. A couple of weeks later, going around the same corner, I, somebody grabbed me and said, um, I, I just want to say thank you. And I said, sorry, 
uh, you, you made my son's life. I said, excuse me? Uh, you signed an autograph last couple weeks ago for little, I can't remember the little boy's name. Um, uh, he passed away last oh, week wow. to leukemia. And I, you know, kind of didn't react then, went into the dressing room, had a cold beer with the boys, and, and it just daunted, it just haunted me and haunted me. And that's when I, uh, Ronald McDonald's house was around, when McDonald's was uh, in my local city, and I knew about Ronald McDonald's house through my buddy, and I made a call and met a guy named Hans Hanna, and Hans was trying to get a Ronald McDonald's house built in Lubeck, which uh, just outside of where I was playing. And we got together and started talking. We started doing these uh, celebrity games. We had guys like uh, Ralph Schumacher, Eric Kuhnuckel, oh, wow. uh, some of the big names, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Franz yeah, Beckenbauer. Yeah. yeah, and we had, did all these things and we raised a bunch of money, opened up uh, Ronald McDonald's house. Uh, that was my turning point to giving back. I understood I, I, my name could do something. And so I, I, I stu was doing all that and then I had already suffered my first concussion over there. It wasn't as nasty as, as the couple that I received after, but the one that took me down a very dark side was um, I was playing and, and um, got, uh, they had taken the red line out and I was at the uh, red line, the pass was coming. I was getting ready to shoot the puck in. Young boy coming, hit me up top. As I was getting hit, another guy hit me and it was all up top. Hits were always above the shoulder those days. And down I went like, you know, the road, the Bugs Bunny and Road. Yeah, the, the, ac the acne, yeah, yeah, acne guy, yeah, yeah. Down I went, I was laying on the ground and um, uh, I was out. Uh, Harry Volka, the trainer, got me up to my feet and as I was kind of staggering, you could see my eyes were glossed, I was out. And he said, hey Gooch, where are you? In German. And uh, I looked around and there, there's a guy with a hockey stick, I'm at a hockey game, took me back to the bench, six smelling salts, you've heard these stories yeah. before, out I went, didn't miss a shift. Continue on playing and playing and playing and uh, that was uh, early November. Late February, I went through some pretty dark, didn't know what was going on with me. Thought I was in depression and just went through some nasty things. And uh, on the Autobahn, uh, again, driving really quickly, uh, left side of my body went numb, pain in my chest, my eyes kind of rolled back, started to sweat. My uh, girlfriend at the time pulled me over to the side of the road. I got out, my knees buckled, she threw me in the passenger seat, raced to the hospital. Uh, they did every test known to man. They came out and said, there's nothing wrong with you. You're, you're fine. Uh, and so uh, got back to Canada that summer, uh, met a bunch of buddies, and I would talk to you eye to eye, but for some reason I was always talking down. I couldn't look you in the eye. And one of my buddies phoned my dad and said, hey, something wrong with Gucci, she's not well. And then I took me to his personal doctor and doctor then said, you know what, I think you're, you're struggling from anxiety. Anxiety, how could I be playing hockey? I'm getting paid. I'm driving BMWs on the Autobahn. I, uh, you know, have a girlfriend, but you know, having some fun at the bars and everything a guy would want outside of playing the National Hockey League. There's no way I have anxiety. So they said, you know what, I I'm gonna send you off to a sociologist. So they send me to a sociologist. They think I'm suffering from something a little bit more. They send me to a psychiatrist in the Grace Hospital. And this guy does an analysis and he actually keeps me in the psychiatric ward for three mm -hmm. days. And they put me through all these battery tests and. They said, you know what, uh, I think you're going through clinical depression and uh, I'm gonna give you some drugs to get you through it. So that summer, I was numb. I was actually, you know, I can remember painting walls for my buddy because I was just earning extra income and then going to the gym and working out and staying in shape. And it was nasty, it was dark. And uh, I could remember walking by a drawer and seeing a knife and seeing myself sliding my, slicing my wrists and, and um, treating my, my girlfriend at the time disgustingly and, and, and just being a horrible, horrible human being. And with this drug, it, it took that all away. I was, I was great. 
and uh, I, they wanted me to get back. So I was going back uh, to Timmendorf. Um, nobody knew, uh, only my medical team here and my father who flew with me. Uh, he held my hand throughout the whole process. I was there for a month, Not even, I don't remember the actual month being there mm. um, without people telling me the stories uh, being on this drug. I got through it somehow, no idea how, other than my father and the team doctor knew, the management didn't know, and nobody knew on the ice. You saw me on the ice, I was performing. Top of the top three in scoring. My line mate, uh, Mark, was always top. I was either second or third. My third, my line mate, my other line mate was always, we were always one, two, three. Just a great line together. So nobody could see that there was something wrong with me. Outside, as soon as I got off the ice, I, I was a basket case. My dad had to virtually cook, clean, wipe my bum. I, I couldn't function as he was and, and, that, and you were, and you're on the you're on the drug still at that time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I didn't I didn't know what that drug was until just recently we moved and I was going through my stuff. I found the letter that I actually wrote. Remember, don't forget we're doing faxes. We're not doing right, not right. emailing people. I actually found it was all in capitals on a typewriter. <laughs> I sent back to Dr. Armstrong from the Grace Hospital saying, um, I'm now here. I've, I'm off the drug. I got to thank you for all you did. You know the suicidal thoughts are, have diminished. Uh, I'm still having problems with my eyes. So even when I told this story, sometimes I didn't even believe maybe maybe it was fabricating some of the stuff maybe it was making some of the stuff stuff up maybe it wasn't quite as bad as it was and when i got this letter it kind of validated the fact that yeah. i was going through it so you know anybody that's going through it um we think we're alone i, I thought i was alone I, I had great support from my mom mm. here's a classic example mom says to me you can't be depressed you, you, my son's not depressed look he's an athlete he's this he's that he's not depressed he's got this he's got that um, she judged it. She just how and she even admitted it later, um, because she felt guilty if I mm. was that. Mm. Like, what did I do as a mother to right. fail? Right. So I think this judgment and these labeling shit, we have to throw it away. Um, you know, somebody that's hurt, pick up a phone. My phone, you can put it on there. I will talk to anybody and everybody. Oh yeah, and I, and I test that. We, we, I've, I've I've called you a number of times, yeah. and right away it's, it's yeah. connect with you, your medical team. So absolutely, yeah. for sure. So that that's really important. Do not give up. Do not give up. You, you can't give up. Mm. And if you give up, you're giving up not only yourself, most importantly, but also your loved ones. So that's, yeah. uh, I'll tell you what, I, I, I look back and I'm very blessed to be here, to be able to talk like this with you, Dan, because uh, you know if people have gone through it, some of us have made it. Listen, we all know that's just, you know, in the TSN story, you just saw the yeah, Joe Murphy, Joe Murphy story. Yeah. It, it, it's sad, but there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people like Joe Murphy that didn't have the yeah. recognition that Joe Murphy has that is living that exactly. Right. Well, I, I think there's three types of people. And so now let's shift into the concussion space. I think there's three types of people in that world. There's the people that that don't believe it's true, that 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 think it's, it's it can't be my kid or whatever, it's not going to happen to me. Yeah. yeah, maybe it happened to finding Murph and it happened to that guy, but you know, I'm, my kid's different. The helmets are better now. Yeah. You know, they got all that. They, they live in that in that dream world. There's another type of person that says, "Suck it up." You know what? Like I've read the stories. I think that yeah, I'd probably shake the cobwebs off, kind of that old school thinking. Come on, be be a man. Yeah. Go and get it done. And then there's a third type of person, and that's the people now that we're, we're growing. And thanks to you and Stop Concussion Foundation, is we're starting to realize that it's not only real. But it's it's devastating. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know if, if catastrophe is, is too big of a, if I'm being too dramatic, yeah. but it's catastrophic. I yeah, mean, what you just described about yourself, yeah. um, and, and, the, and that was years ago. How many decades ago was that? Two, three? Two, three, four, 
for aging. Yeah. yeah I'm turning 60 for God's right. sake. Right. So, 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 so let, let, 30 years ago. Yeah, let, let's say three decades ago. I mean, we've come so far and yet the mentality, the fear of talking about it, the fear of if I tell my coach or the trainers I have this, I'm not going to make the team. So let me just, let me pretend it's not there. Let me make the team. Once I sign the contract, then I'll start talking about it. But yeah. of course that, that never yeah, changed. The yeah. ideology stays the same. Um, and so thank God we're starting to talk about it. We're yeah. starting to open up, you know, pardon the pun, but we're starting, we're starting to sort of crack it open yeah. and reach inside and say, no, like this is a real thing yeah. that's killing people. That's that. And if it's not killing people, I mean, anybody that hasn't watched the finding Murph, I mean, go online, it's, it's available on yes. tribute. It's everywhere. I mean, it's devastating. I mean, from a Stanley cup champ to, to, to the career he had, you listen to his sister. I mean, he's literally living in the, in the bushes yeah. in, in, in Kenora. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, it's so and, sad. and when you see him, when you talk, you can see the effects it has on, on him physiologically, psychologically. And so, so I want to support you and support people out there to, to, to become the number, th this number three I described about it, but the supporters that are saying, yes, it's real. How do we fix someone? If I'm a coach, it's like, no, Johnny, you're not going to play. Don't worry about it. We still love you. You still got a spot on the team. Um, and lastly, um, like you're doing with Malcolm Sutherland and your whole foundation is, okay, how do we stop this? Yeah. Right? Like Ken Dryden said in his book, he said, he said, it's great. We're talking about this stuff, but until we, 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 we stop it and still, until we find a cure, we're, we're, we're in the same bloodbath that we've always been in. We just, now we just know what it is. Um, and so, so talk about that. Talk about kind of wh where you are, the foundation is, uh, with the Primo brothers, what are you doing to, to help show people that it's real and that there's, there, that there's light on the other side. You talked about it one time, you said the new normal, Yeah. right? Keith Primo says he'll never be normal again. This now is his new normal. Yes, absolutely. So, so, so talk about how do we get people there and what are you guys doing to get people there? Well, very, very well said. Uh, and, and what's important about this is you mentioned uh, reference to Ken Dryden's book. Ken Dryden's book is absolutely perfect in the sense, and it's a now thing in the sense that, you know, we've been talking about it for a long time. Um, and uh, let's put these words into action mm. and action is what we need now and so Keith and I along with a great crew of guys you know with Wayne and Ron Ellis and you know obviously you mentioned Malcolm Sutherland uh, we've been we've been pounding the pavement for a long time just yeah, Zen and Kanopka I mean, you, yeah. you brought some guys here yeah. last year Actually, Dennis Maruk, Dennis Maruk yeah. story. we got such great ambassadors just saying listen we, we just got to take another look at this. Let's let's look from the inside out, not the outside in. And we've been doing that a lot. You know, we look at it. We got a bunch of people outside of the game saying you got to do this, this, and this. But we can do it ourselves. We, we've got to cleanse ourselves and and understand why do athletes do what they do? Why did why did I play through the pain? Why did I take needles and and bang up my body? And you know, I knew that I shouldn't have played that game, but I took a couple needles and I got through it. Why? Because again, I think we're driven in a couple things. There's egos. Uh, there's money. Uh, and of course, uh, there's the letdown. I didn't want to let my family down. I didn't want to let, you know, my mother drove me to hockey practice mm. six o'clock in the morning. The sacrifice she made, why, if I, I just got a sore elbow. Come on, I can play. Right. I just got a headache. I can play right. through it. Let, let your teammates down, right? They're counting on you. You're top two, top three in scoring. Yeah. They, they need you on the team, right? Well, Keith, Keith said it best uh, in his particular situation. Uh, he was, they were in the playoffs. And he basically, uh, Lisa is beautiful, uh, just like Tony, just an understanding person he was out in a stretcher and he woke up from from on the way to the hospital and they were playing the playoffs and they had won the game to make force game seven and he opened his eyes and said uh, the first thing coming out of his mouth said uh wasn't how am i first thing did we win 
And she said, yes, of course you want. Oh, good, I'll be in tomorrow's game. And she said, Keith, there's no way you're playing. Look at you. And that's where he said, listen, I'm not going to let my parents down. I'm not going to let my teammates down. Mm. And I'm not going to let my management down. And most importantly, I'm not going to let the fans down right. that have supported. I'm the captain of the Philadelphia Flyers. And so it's a strong drug. That's, that that right. draws you. And so I think what we have to understand is that first we have to understand that. So then we have to understand the cause, effect, consequences of the injury. So I think that's what we've done. All of us have done a very good job of, of relating that story and getting that message out. Now we're starting to see more of the Murph stories out there. Don't be fooled by the fact there's probably millions of people in North America walking around like a Murph that doesn't have Just now a, a support mechanism. A lot of those people that are on the street may have had the same experiences through concussions, brain injuries, we don't know. So I think, again, I go back to that judgment part. Let's all come together and understand that that person's there for a reason. Let's understand what that reason is and how can we uh, mitigate the risk. You said, let's stop. I'm not sure we're gonna stop or prevent all, but we can mitigate risk. And the way we mitigate risk is through education. Education, education, education. Now I think we've got a great mechanism of education. Now it's that word action. Now we have to understand what can we do as coaches, as mentors, as fathers, as mothers, how can we instill in our children the right to play with safe principles? That's mm -hmm. what this is about. First, respect yourself. If you're gonna do a sport, if you're going to do anything, it doesn't have to be sport, anything that you do, respect yourself and the talents that you have. You said it, take that inner you, because I believe, just as you, we have it, it just needs to be nurtured. Parents, nurture that. Don't, don't put expectations that are unrealistic. Mm -hmm. Don't put people into places where we allow them to fail. Put them in places where they can succeed. Mm. Yeah, they may not be good at certain things, help in that way, but let's put them in situations where they can achieve. And once they achieve, they can then develop other skills. So it, with us, what we've done is, through Malcolm Sutherland, who has broken this down into understanding what do we do on the ice that creates risk? So we've broken it down into certain things. You know, you've heard head on a swivel and you know, when you're going in angle yeah. and all that sort of stuff. But we, we're not reinforcing that as much anymore. We're really going into, let's power plays, penalty killing. Uh, you know, we're not even s developing skill as much as we used to. We're really speed, let's get fast. Mm -hmm. Everybody's getting fast. Okay, but getting fast, there's a consequence because you have to stop. Mm -hmm. And if you, the faster you go and the faster you stop, the consequences are right. So we've got to try and now develop that risk uh, versus reward. So I think what we've done with our organization, it took us time to do that inside-out approach. Players, what are we doing? How do we protect ourselves from ourselves, number one? And that, when I say from ourselves, it's a collection of people that are around. Coaches, trainers, parents. Hey, little John, hey, you fell down, get up. Yeah. Well, we don't know. Maybe he hurt himself and we're not looking at her. She hurt himself. Right. Her, herself. We have to make sure that we, as the parent, as the coach, take responsibility to protect them from that part. And that's one of the things we didn't do very well. Now we're starting to get better. You know, NHL is trying with the green rooms and all that sort of stuff. Is it fully successful? Not yet. But at least we're, we're getting there. trying. Yeah. And I think you, you mentioned the cure. I don't think there's going to be specifically a cure to this. But what we can do is that we can take down and, and some of the... the, the, the catastrophic and it underline it it is catastrophic what my parents went through what my girlfriend went through what what uh obviously what murphy you know you when you watch this 
what Keith's wife went through, the sacrifices we do. It changes it. He had kids. She had to take on the role of father and mother. Um, she had to do everything that he was supposed to do, she had to do. It breaks up lives. It changes that young boy that's watching her, his father struggle. Um, it changes their lives. Mm -hmm. And so if we can uh, um, mitigate some of that and take back ownership of the responsibility of what we need to do as the adults in the picture, and I, I underline that, we're the adults in the picture of this problem, and we've got to make sure we educate ourselves. Great websites, you know, obviously you plug in Stop Concussion, but there's great websites. A great guy out there, Chris Nowinski, battling with the, the uh, Concussion uh, Legacy Foundation. Uh, Dr. You know, Scott at Guelph. Dr. Scott, all of these great guys, yeah. are, they're doing such good work. Take time out to understand the injury first. That's number one. Understand what a concussion is. It's all there for us. It's simple, layman's terms. Now, once you have that, let's understand what the symptoms are. Once we understand that, let's understand what type of people we need to take them to, your loved ones. Where do we take them for help? And that's where guys like Scott uh, from Shift Concussion Management come in. They're dedicated to make sure that they follow the proper protocols right. to get your child or yourself healthy first. That's number one. Right. Whether you go back and play right. again right. is incidental. Yeah, I mean, here's the amazing thing is, you know, I, I, you've clearly laid it out and I think you and I are cut from the same cloth. I mean, our passion is right there on our sleeve. Yeah. The thing that, that I see in, in this world, you talk about Dr. Scott at Shift Concussion Management, his passion is, is, as, is as readily available as yours and mine is. In case yeah. in point, last year I called you, yeah. they had a boy who's from Hong Kong, but playing hockey in London, Ontario. Yeah. He's, you know, the cobwebs, he's, kind of, he's a goalie, he took a couple pucks up the top of the helmet. Yeah. You know, you got the helmet, come on, that's not that bad. But in school, like he's starting to feel the, the effects of it. He can't focus on class. Yeah. Anyways, I, I speak to the dad. So the dad from Hong Kong reaches out to you. Yeah. You put him in touch with Dr. Scott. The mom flies into town, takes him from London and he was getting some care. Um, took him to Dr. Scott immediately yeah. within one or two sessions. And I'm not pumping Scott's yeah, tires yeah. for that, no. that point, but I'm talking about Dr. Scott is like, Call me anytime. And yeah. so anybody that's listening or watching, you know, we're going to put the numbers here so you have access to, every, to all these guys. Anytime, if you're the parent, you're the athlete, you're the coach, make the call, reach out because the support is there. Absolutely. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it wasn't. Was it? And, and Dr. Scott did. And yeah. within one or two appointments, yeah. this, this young hockey player, I mean, he's 18, 19 years old, he can focus again. Yeah. I mean, you talk the catastrophic, I mean, his parents, imagine if your kid comes home and says, he can't focus on a whiteboard yeah. or, or on a blackboard or, or reading reading text. I mean, yeah, I, I, I pretend I couldn't focus either when it was math and literature I didn't <laughs> like, but I mean, we're talking in the real world. I mean, yeah. this kid can't read the board. Yeah. And and that leads to depression, that leads to all those things. And I think the big part of it is, because no one can no one can say what it is. It's like what you went through. It's just yeah. this, 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 it's this, this hypothetical, you might have this, take this drug, whatever. And so the help is there, right? The support is there. So lean on the support, go and get the help. And there's passionate people out yeah. there that are gonna you know, meet you at three in the morning if they have to, because they know you've told me stories yeah. about boys coming from Australia. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, well, the yeah, support is there. What's uh, cool about that story, you just mentioned that I'm off to uh, China next week and uh, flying into Hong Kong and I'm gonna see the parents over there. Oh, so, beautiful. Yeah, so it's, you know what, um, I think that's, that's what you've stated is, is so factual that, and we know it, there's help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. It, it's there now. Um, when I went through it, it was a little more difficult. Now there's no excuse. We can, we can fix yeah. 90%. There's still a 10%. Uh, there's a, a sector of the population that, that may have to go through even more dramatic uh, medical uh, uh, help, but 90% of this can be. Tell me, tell me one thing that parents, um, 
need to know, players and parents need to know or should know or don't yet know about either a diagnosing or proper care, anything, anything in that spectrum of concussion? What's one thing that players and parents uh, need to know? Yeah, well, you know, it, it's really tough. It's a very complex, the brain is very complex. And so, and uh, obviously through, through age change, um, you know, there are certain things that parents are made aware of you know puberty and and development of the brain and and all the emotional things your kids are going through and today with you know all these you know the world's at our fingertips um, we're just overloaded mm. so um, you know drugs and alcohol and, and and coming of age and all these things can influence uh, different symptoms you know uh, a classic example is some symptoms of a concussion look exactly like just having flu symptoms so you as a parent mm. little Johnny comes home or little Nancy comes home and complains about sweating you know feeling fatigued vomiting um, you know you could take that as wow maybe that's for, mm. you know um, heat or hot uh, and, and, and par parents may not even know to ask. Maybe this happened at school or at the rink. The parents don't even know to ask. Yeah. Did, did you did you suffer a blow to the head? Right. right? They don't know that, so they just assume maybe it's that. Right. So they give them some aspirin and go to bed. So I think what uh, parents have to become more attentive. If you're going to put your kid in sport, you have to be more attentive. So they go off to school. They they come back home. They go to the practice. They come home. And if you see, most of the things are change in in personality, mood swings. Things that, that are not normal, that come instant. You know, kids change and, you know, they sometimes become rebellious. But if it, it generally takes right. a little bit of time. Right, there's a bit but of evolution there. Night to day, right. that's the first thing that parents have to do. So, so, so would you say, I mean, ask the question, if, if little Johnny or Susie comes home and they've got those flu-like symptoms, ask the question, son. Because cause the, the yeah. athlete may also not even connect the dots. Right? Absolutely. They took a blow to the head, they don't even think, right? Yeah. So, so, with, so then for parents to ask the question, say, oh, before we give you the Tylenol and send you to bed because it's the flu, did you take a hit to the head or a bump or a sudden stop or yeah. sudden change of direction or something, right? Absolutely, that's, a, that's the key. I think that we have to become more active in, in, in our participation in sport. If you're putting your kid in sport, you as a parent should do a lot more due diligence. Understand about the coaches. Understand about the management. Look at the, the record of the overall organization. Do they have a concussion protocol in place? Do the coaches actually take this series? Do they have a medical staff? Do they have any information for us as parents? Uh, certainly not just want to throw every association or coach under the bus, but if you're going to be a coach or you're going to run an organization that we put our young brains into, take the time to understand what a concussion is and where it can take them. So I think as a parent now, you also owe the re responsibility to take action in hand. So for example, my I put my boy or girl into a ice hockey program and that program uh, is has all these coaches. I'm not going to want to be an influence to the coaches or go and say, do this for my little Johnny or Nancy. But what I want to be able to do is, is that when my son goes to practice or daughter goes to practice and comes home, just be a part of it. How did practice go today? Well, anything, you want to say anything about it? Take time to ask mm -hmm. questions. And if they are in that particular situation where they don't, oh, mommy, I feel sick, then say, did you get hit? Did you it. fall down? Yeah. It's, sure. it, it takes seconds, right. seconds. And then the click-in says, oh, you banged your head. Right. Let me phone Dr. X. Right. And that's how, that's how we can help mitigate some of the longer uh, term. If we, it's not the concussion that you have to be concerned about so much. It's the management of it. And mm -hmm. that's where Scott Holler says it best. The reason why he's in it, he's selfish. His daughter wants to play. So he said, listen, I'm going to learn everything I possibly can. I have the medical background to do it. I'm going to learn everything I can 
to know about what a concussion is right. and how to treat it. Because my daughter's playing, she wants to play, and I'm not going to lend my daughter to anybody that's not gonna take it as serious as I am. So I'm gonna learn everything about it. And so that's why I became so passionate. He knows every, I think there was 18,000 um, papers right. put yeah, out last, last year. year. Uh, and he, he, I think he wrote 18,220 yeah, He read them all, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, whether or not he did all that. Yeah, yeah. He's very, very intense, and, and there's a lot of Scots out there. So let's make sure parents, my one, one big advice is, let our kids not not play. We don't want them playing on Xboxes and doing all, you know, just doing things that they're sitting on a couch and, you know, eating potato chips. Uh, let them experience what I experienced. I experienced the Berlin Wall falling. I was there the day it came down. I experienced the change of Europe. I experienced uh, a new culture. I experienced a new language. It is taking me around the world now. Hey, I wasn't the most educated guy in the world. I got to grade 12 and passed grade six twice. Uh, <laughs> last year was pretty tough because I was the tallest kid in the class. <laughs> but it's true, I, w I wasn't very well educated. Right. Got off to Europe, I got self-educated. I, I became worldly, I became, I understand politics a little. I get it a little bit more. Mm. I probably wouldn't have got it out of, out of uh, school because I was like you, you know, math. Yeah. What am I going to I just go to the grocery store and give them money. They give me money back. Right, right. And so I think people have to realize that, that uh, hockey is so much more. Sport is so much more than just the game itself. And it gives you friendships. I, I can travel anywhere around the world today um, and, and meet a buddy, meet a friend. And you and I know this specifically. Uh, I went back to a reunion last year in Germany. Some of these guys, again, hadn't seen in 20 years. Sat down in the dressing room, you know, took the took the clothing off to put the gear on, a little bigger belly, and bodies don't look like they used to. So the stories start coming, and it's like, we just finished playing, you know, uh, yeah. in the Stanley like Cup finals game, yeah. nothing. And so that's what the great part yeah, is. Yeah, see, I, one of the things that I love about you is how, mu how much of service you are, you, you're, you, you've, you know, the amount of time and effort you put in, the care, the, the, you know, the fact that you're here. I mean, like, like just do the math, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's hours and hours and hours of time that you, you you, you allocate to people and to things that you're passionate about. Um, and I think, you know, that's one of the, one of the mandates I have is to inspire youth and families to realize, like, do the same, like give yeah. back, hold the door for someone, be kind, oh, be absolutely. compassionate, right? Little things. And, and, and don't be aggravated when you hold the door and the person doesn't say thank you because they may be going through something like we're absolutely. talking about, or maybe they just got off the phone and just heard that their mom uh, has cancer. Yeah. And so, and so here they are like, like, like do it, do it for, out of, from kindness. Yeah. So, um, Let's let's go. Let's let's up the kindness game and and the philanthropic. So give us give it. We're 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 running tight for time. Whenever, whenever I talk, whenever you talk, it's inevitably yeah. we're gonna run out of time. We're gonna run this today we might run out of film or, yeah. or space on our on our on our cards. Um, give us the uh, give us the quick story on on Australia and what yeah. he did over there with how many outdoor games did you have? Uh, we won. One. Uh, we we actually didn't have it. Uh, just before we go in, I just very you touched on something that's really parents. Uh, one of the things that you can instill in your children is exactly that, respect for elderly. One of the things that you can really truly understand a person that has a great upbringing is, is taking time to, we're gonna be there. I'm gonna be there where my mother is. Mm. I'm gonna be there where, where my father was. And so I think what we need to understand is compassion. If anything, anything you can do for a child is, is to put the, instill that in. As a man or a woman, boy or girl, take time out because it's exactly that. We're all going through things that we don't see all the time. So uh, that, that's so important. It's still compassion into your yeah, child. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, opening the door, you know, is, I, I do it for everybody. And I, I, you know, some people think it's maybe uh, 
uh, overdone, but gosh, you know, an elderly woman, take the time out. Take seconds. Yeah. So yeah, so, um, you know, I've done some crazy things. I've been around the world and, you know, I've had a great life, a great life. Uh, uh, last night I was watching the, uh, the story about uh, uh, Senator McCain mm. and uh, what he lived through and, and you know, the five years and just two years in isolation. Can I don't imagine? know if I could have got through that. And so my, my trials in life can't even become close. And, and uh, I don't know if you heard the letter he wrote on his passing and, and just saying he was, he was blessed with a wonderful life. Man, incredible. Mm. So how can I complain about anything that I've gone through when he went through what he did? So I am blessed. I've got great people around me. I've got an opportunity to, to, to live the life. I'm still in hockey in some capacity. Uh, got the best hand standing still. I uh, can't move anymore. Uh, but still love the game and, and, and the camaraderie. So, you know, uh, once I got out of playing and, and uh, got an opportunity to become a philanthropist, poor philanthropist, of course, uh, and just make a, make a difference, like make a change. And not just talk it, do it. And Keith Primo and all these guys helped me uh, develop stop concussions. And we got lucky. Some guy uh, wanted to do a couple of games in, in a little town uh, called Auckland, New Zealand. He wanted to do a hockey game in 2010 and, and got a hold of me out of the blue. And, and we concocted this idea, Canada versus U.S. And we flew a bunch of guys over there, guys who weren't even playing. They were getting the rust off their skates. And we, we pulled it off. We sold out 8,000 seats. And it was pretty good. It was it was okay. It wasn't a showcase game. It certainly wasn't a National Hockey League playoffs, but it was uh, you know just kind of a beer league yeah. all star game. And we pulled it off. And then next year and next year and next year. And you know with that came some struggles. You know the promoter ended up uh, you know being a little bit greedy. And though I thank him for giving us this opportunity, and we went to the next promoter. And they're a much big bigger organization, uh, you know, uh, $3.2 billion business, and here's this little Kerry Goulet and, <laughs> and Tony and the Stock and Cash platform, and then we built it into an organization or into a tour. It's called the Ice Hockey Classic that, uh, you know, we play in uh, Sydney this year, 12,500 people in a, in a country that's not really ice hockey savvy. We got lucky, we got Nathan Walker, who plays for the Washington Capitals, mm -hmm. won a Stanley Cup, even though he played in only a couple games. Yeah. He's, uh, uh, he's Wayne Gretzky there, so we got him out, and uh, we played in uh, Adelaide, uh, 7,200 people, uh, and 8,500 in Brisbane. And we went to Auckland again, 8,500 sold out. Wow. And we're going to do the first outdoor game in Wellington. I can't bore you. I know we don't have all the time in the world, but I'll just give you a real quick summation of what happened. Um, we wanted to start doing this more and more. So we were building a building it with our, our, our charity and my little sports company. We we're building an opportunity to host games in other parts of the South Pacific because there's a lot of expats and they miss the game, they love mm. the game. If you're not around a hockey game, especially now, I hear the playoffs are here, the playoffs yeah. just think these people don't get to see right, a game right, live. Right. So that we're bringing, we're packing up everything right. and bringing it. And, and some names of players they probably remember, they used to see play. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so here we are, we pack up almost like this circus act and we bring it, roll into town and build a rink uh, inside of facilities that don't have, you know, ice uh, available to them and then tear it down and off to the next. Pretty cool concept. 
uh, pardon the pun on the, on the ice, but here we are, we're there. And so I got this vision. I wanted to host the first outdoor game ever in the South Pacific. So we buy all the materials here in Canada and we got eight containers of stuff with Zambonis and I'm actually buying used, I'm gonna use Zamboni car lot. <laughs> uh, it's just crazy. And so I buy used drinks, and, but I had to buy the, the actual ice mats. These are the things that go underneath that you put glycol through the refrigerant mm. and you throw some water yeah. on, freeze the ice. So I've got all these containers drifting over to, to uh, three of them are going to Auckland to be a part of the Auckland Wellington games and one was gonna be outdoor and the other ones were traveling to Sydney and all that sort of stuff. And all of them had either they had ice mats or they had Zambonis or they had the boards. So the Zambonis and the boards arrive in Auckland and Wellington on time, but three of these containers that house the ice mats on their way from Baltimore had to go through Cartagena, uh, Columbia, and then were off to Auckland. They're supposed to be there June the 6th. And uh, the game was June the 22nd, 23rd, and they would be div divided up out of things and be transported. They'd be there on time. Long, long story short, May the 25th, I get an email from a, a large shipping manufacturer company telling me we've got a serious delay. They won't arrive to Auckland until July the 26th. So these are the things that make the floor happen. You can't go to your local Canadian Tire and buy them. You have to get them custom built. So panic sets in, what went on? So we got the Canadian Embassy involved. We got the Trades Commission involved. What, what ends up coming out is that they missed a, a vessel in Colombia and somebody threw it on the wrong vessel and they ended up going down oh and God. ending up going through Chile, Ecuador, and landing in Bolivia. So Bolivian transport companies said, these aren't supposed to be here. So they shipped them back to Cartagena. So this, these ice mats are having a better vacation than I am. They've been through the Panama Canal twice. <laughs> so they get into the uh, uh, Colombia. The Colombia Customs automatically sees it because it's been in Colombia and it's been in Bolivia. Right. And we know about that white stuff. Yeah. And these are 85 foot rolls of polyurethane, white polyurethane that they can't x-ray to see if there's uh, cocaine inside of them. They get held up there. We get a chance to maybe fly them. They wouldn't allow us. We had to send them back to the original port in Baltimore. We got them back to Baltimore in time just to get them on a flight. Got there on a Friday. If they cleared on Monday, they'd be on a flight Tuesday to get there. Well, Canadian Customs sees it because they can't x-ray it. They held them for 12 days so that we had no chance. So you lost it. The no. I, thinking on my feet, know that I can rent a set. I tried to buy them in North America. Couldn't. I could rent a set out of... Um, Amsterdam, our buddies from Ice World. So we rent a set from them, and we gotta fly them. So we're not talking, it's like half this room of piping. So we get it all set up. I won't mention the airline, but the airline gets it. It has to go on a 747 Boeing cargo plane. It has to go on the top deck because it won't go underneath, so it can't go on a passenger jet. So there's only three that go out of Singapore to Auckland. We get it from Amsterdam to Singapore. Everything's cool. We got it in time. Everything's gonna be perfect. Well, unfortunately, the domino effect follows us. As it's taking off from Singapore, it blows an engine. Blowing the engine means it's only gonna be able to come on the second flight of that week to get the ice ready. They figure it out, okay, we can get it on a different flight. They get it out, it lands, only three quarters of it shows up. So you can't just make three quarters of a ring. We, it all ends up happening at the last minute, but it doesn't allow our crew to go from the places we wanted. It really does this domino effect. It destroys our planning, and so everything was rushed. We get into the Auckland game, we get it done. The next day is the Wellington game, and as we were building the rink, a pipe breaks. So it just keeps on, the, the gift just kept on giving. And so um, we got everything set up. 
we were ready to do an outdoor game, 11,000 people. I said we were gonna set history, we were gonna have the first outdoor game. And unfortunately, uh, you know, um, somebody upstairs just maybe doesn't want it to happen. And there's a reason, mm -hmm. there's a reason for it not happening. Yeah. And we battled and battled and 11,000 people, we canceled the game and delayed the game to the next day, perfect setting, everything was ready to go. And for some reason, um, the ice didn't freeze and I won't get into the technical parts, but what happened on that day, 11,000 people saw my set of boards crumble. They actually fell. And obviously everybody pointed the finger at Terry Goulet. You failed us. And it wasn't that. People, it, that's not the reason why it happened. I won't say the, the particular reasons yet. It will come out. But what, what's amazing about that is we had a standing ovation from those people. They, I was in tears. They were chanting my name. They were uh, honoring the players for trying to do something that nobody else on this planet has tried. We had people coming up, oh my gosh, Terry, we feel so sorry for you. The weather in Wellington, because it's windy Wellington, you know, it, it, it took over your event. We, we feel so bad for you. And so it turned everything. I can tell you right now, we're going back. And uh, we don't know if we're going to do an outdoor game. But we're coming back to Wellington because we, I could put tickets up on sale right now. And I would sell out instantly. So what it taught me was, is it perseverance? I, I'm not going to quit. And so it ended up, at the end of the day, just to fly that rink from Amsterdam to Auckland, 150,000 euros, which I don't know, a couple hundred grand, that we'll never see back. But we, we, Tony and I could have canceled. We could have said, no, we're not gonna do it, but 25,000 people had already bought tickets. People had given up their time. Uh, some of the NHL players that were gonna miss uh, Buddy's weddings because they wanted to be committed mm. to help us grow the game around the world. Uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame was involved, they gave us stuff. All the sponsors gave it. Tony and I could have walked away from it, went bankrupt and said, hey, we're sorry. But uh, that wouldn't, you know, it's not my character, it's not her character. Tears and, 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 and hours of agony, we said we're gonna pull through it. We pulled through it. And I'll tell you the final part of that story. $250,000 later, we're already uh, out of pocket. We have to borrow money. Um, and you can't go to a bank and borrow right, 250000 right, bucks. Right. So we had some very good people along the way. I won't mention names, but they know who they are. They, they stepped up and said, you do good work, we're gonna help you. So final part of this is, as you know, I had to get another rink. So we need, we, we need two rinks, so I only flew one. And on the way, there was one going to another, another city. We re redirected the boat to get to Wellington. So we, got, we almost pulled those two off. But then I had to take one of those rink, put it on another plane, and fly it back at the tune of 75,000. So we did all that. But what's amazing about that story is sometimes cargo gets bumped. So it's flying from Adela uh, Auckland to Melbourne to get onto a truck to get to Adelaide. And that flight from Auckland to Melbourne, you can lose some of your cargo. But on that particular flight, there was a racehorse. And if there's a live animal on the flight, they will not take off stock of the, any of the cargo because they've already listed it and it has to go. Mm. So the only reason why it was guaranteed to get there is there was a so I'm buying a horse. <laughs> so every time we ship stuff now, it's going to be a That's horse. an expensive horse. That's, so that's, up, that's a phenomenal story. It's about 500 grand that we, we're down, but we, we, we've got the, we own the assets. So, you know, don't feel sorry for us. We're, yeah. we're going to pull up and we're now in the negotiation with our partners. Uh, we're going back. We're going to do uh, um, uh, New Zealand again and play the cities that we played. And then we're gonna, that's gonna be one tour, we're doing two tours, and next year we're just gonna do Australia. So from a really, really bad negative uh, 
life-altering situation, all it's done is put more passion, more fire. Uh, I turned 60, so uh, I'll tell you what, it's going to be one heck of a party. That, that, but what a great testament, right? That's what we talk to the athletes yeah. about all the time, right? It's yeah. about perseverance. I tell the athletes, stay on the mountain, yeah. right? Wherever you are, at the top of the mountain, the bottom, as long as you have at least one hand on the mountain, you're on the mountain. Absolutely. Right? And so, you, and you just keep doing the work, no matter how many times you get sucked down or slipped down and hit yeah. a muddy bog, you keep going. So yeah. I think that's that's a perfect testament. And so as we as we pull this to, to, uh, to a close, um, what's one thing that we don't know, that viewers don't know, about Kerry Goulet? Oh gosh, um, um, uh, tough question. Um, obviously, uh, I'm, I'm open. Yeah. Uh, I'm not afraid to talk about uh, good things, uh, but I'm certainly not uh, scared to talk about uh, the hard, hardships that, that I've had that are minor in comparison. Uh, I, I would say um, uh, the ego. Uh, I, I, you know, I have a lot. I'll just share you one quick story as we wrap it up. Um, that that we. To be a to be good at whatever you do, yeah. you, you got to be within driven and, and driven with inside. Somewhat is an ego. I wanted the puck on my stick in overtime. I wanted to score that winning goal. Sure, maybe for some accolades in my picture in the paper, but I wanted to succeed. Not only for me, but for some of those guys that are the fourth liners that maybe only got two minutes of ice, but went out there and protected me in a fight or did whatever they needed to do to contribute. And so, uh, you know, I was always in the forefront uh, doing a bunch of charity work. It's Kerry Goulet, Kerry Goulet, Kerry Goulet. My wife is always in the background. You don't hear much about Tony Meal no. and that sort of stuff. But sometimes that's needed because some, I'm comfortable there. She's not. So I, I heard somebody make a comment one day, ah, he's just doing it because it's his ego driven. Well, I look at that and say, listen, if there weren't people like us that were, if they were all like my wife, that'd be fantastic. But nobody would know that we did anything. Mm -hmm. We just, it would just, go unrecognized and we wouldn't have maybe the support we need by being vocal and being out there and, and yeah, maybe being a little bit arrogant at times, um, it draws power. People wanna be around successful people. People wanna be uh, involved with people that care. And so the two things that I own is I care. Mm. And the second is compassion. And I will not ever give those things up until my last breath. I will keep fighting for people that can't help themselves because there's a lot of them. Take time out. If somebody's struggling, take a few minutes just to hear the story. People always ask me, and they've asked you this, how are you doing? What's your answer 90% of the time? Great. I don't do that anymore. If I'm hurting, I say, hey, Dan, you know what? Not doing so well. I'm having to struggle a little bit. Hey, Gooch, what can I do? Ask for help. Mm. Ask for help. And I'm not afraid to do that. I That's love it. Amazing. Like. Amazing. Uh, where can we find you on social media, on websites? Where, where do we where do we get in touch with Gooch well, and the foundation? At, at 60, it's tough sometimes because you tweet and Google and Facebook and <laughs> Twitter and tweet and all that sort of these stuff. Are, these words didn't even exist, you know, when you were playing hockey. In I, but but I, where do we find you? I can tell you right now, I, I live the uh, black and white television and the uh, rabbit ears. Yeah. Uh, you know, too. obviously, uh, Stop Concussions is one of my great yeah. platforms that has been built by a great team. Uh, Safe for Sports. Uh, sorry, uh, that's a, that's a, with Malcolm Southern Touchpoint. Go there, safeforsports.com. Okay. Phenomenal website that helps us yeah. with some principles. Yeah, it'll, it'll all be listed here. Yeah. So, but most importantly, I'm on Facebook. I'm a Facebook addict. I don't know anything. It's so easy. Uh, so you know, straight up, Kerry Goulet. Kerry Goulet, yeah. come on, send me a note, ask me a question, uh, give me a raw rock, give me a negative. 
uh, and I'll, I'll, I answer back everybody. I just love it. And, and in closing on that whole thing, you know what? You use Facebook for what it's made for. I can click one button and everybody knows my life. And you know, when my mother's not well, I don't post it because I want to make people feel sorry for me. I want my uncle that's in BC. I can't pick up a phone and tell everybody in Germany or in Australia mm. that care for my mom that we're dealing with this. So I do it because that use that platform to educate people about yourself, about your life, and obviously promote the good things that you're doing. Amazing. Hey, Kerry, it's a total pleasure. I, mean, I always love working with you. You know, having you on here was, I thought was a perfect, uh, perfect opportunity. You're going to be back at the 2019 Junior Showcase. We got Easy some really thing. cool things coming. Um, it's such a pleasure all the time and, and really admire the work that you do. And, and, uh, and thanks so much for sharing, not just the good stuff, but the dark stuff, right? And, and I think you're, you're an open book. And so uh, grateful for that. Um, my, my tagline is booyah. I always, that's what I always yeah, So let's, we'll, we'll end. You look, I'll look at this camera. You look, yeah. at, you look at that one and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll sign off with, uh, from the How Legends Are Made podcast with a, a unified booyah on the count of three. One, two, three, booyah. booyah. Thanks, buddy.